All right, good morning, Central Church. How's everybody? Fantastic. Those of you that are watching us live this morning, welcome wherever you are, if you're in the concourse uh, or wherever you're joining us today. God bless you on this Father's Day. And all of you dads, uh, just a word of extra blessing and grace on your life today. I pray it's a great day for you with your families. Uh, as you just saw, we're continuing in this series. It's called That's a Great Question. Uh, every week we, we ask a question, we try to answer it. And since this is Father's Day, this is Father's Day edition of That's a Great Question. The question is, what do godly men do? Let's pray. Lord, as we open the scriptures this morning, we pray that you would guide us and lead us. We pray, Holy Spirit, for revelation in the, the, the word of truth this morning, that you would help us to understand our roles, our calling, our mission. And Lord, that you would um, bless all the, the, the men and dads out there today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There is a difference between being a good man and being a godly man. And to be honest, our culture really has a low bar related to what a good man is. Uh, I, I mean, uh, you don't really need to know God. Uh, basically, you, you, you love your wife, you help people, you um, uh, are a good father, uh, good friend, good neighbor. Um, Emerson Drive does it really well. It kind of states what the world's concept of a good man is. Let's take a listen. When they lay me down, he was, a, he was a good father, he was a good husband, he was a good, he was a good man. He, he helped people, uh, low bar. So I want to challenge all the men today uh, to not settle for the world's definition of a good man, but to aspire to what God wants you to be, and that is a godly man. And we'll talk about what that means in, in the course of this, this message. So who is this message for this morning? Because every woman just checked out, right? Okay, this, this message is for all you young guys that, that hope to be the man that God wants you to be as you get older. This, this message is for every husband and father right now um, to hopefully maybe give you a blueprint for biblical manhood uh, and help you understand that. Uh, this is for every wife and mother and excuse me, and grandmother to help you know how you should pray for the men in your life. Uh, this message is for all the single ladies out there to help you, that's right, come on, help, help, you, help you understand that what a godly man is and you are worth a godly man. Don't settle for anything less than, than a godly man that he has for you. Uh, so take, take feverish notes and understand that. And, but everything I'm going to say today, all the principles we're going to talk about apply both to men and to women. So ladies, these really apply to you as well. So what does a godly man do? Um, first thing I want to say is, is godly men care more about character than reputation. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. I have four points. I'm going to go over each point, And I asked my wife if she would grade me on these points. So there's going to be a couple of grades. The first grade is going to be the first five years of our marriage, what my grade was. 
And then the second grade is gonna be what, what she gives me today. Okay, so here we go on this, this one about caring more. Ah, C plus. See, here's the good news, guys. There's hope. You can be a C student and, and get up to you know, an A minus maybe someday. 42 years it took me to climb the, the ladder there. So there, there's hope for all of us. Um, Godly men care more about character than reputation, which means you care more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. You care more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. John Wooden, one of my heroes, was a Hall of Fame basketball coach at UCLA. He said this. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Jesus, and everything we're gonna talk about was true in the life of Jesus. So again, becoming a godly man means that you become like Christ, simple as that, which requires the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus reprimanded and reproved the Jewish leaders because they cared more about their reputation than they did about their character. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Everything they do, they meaning the Jewish leaders, is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels, again, a sign of spirituality in the community. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside of the cup will become clean, also, so godly men are more concerned with what's happening on the inside of their lives than on the outside of their lives. They're more concerned with changing who they are on the inside because they know that when they clean the inside of the cup and the dish, the outside will take care of itself. So, so the first point of emphasis is on the inner work of God in our lives, uh, the, the inner person or, or character. And, and this whole concept of caring more about character than reputation sort of falls into, into three categories. The first is sort of this area of, of humility and honesty. Um, in other words, you are willing to admit your weaknesses to people around you because you're, you're not trying to impress them and you're not trying to protect your reputation. You're free. You, you don't have to worry about trying to guard your reputation um, or in some way impress people with your life. And I, I honestly try to lead this way in my life. So from the pulpit, when I'm preaching, I try to share with you guys both the, the good and the bad, both the victories and the, the failures, um, the things that I'm not doing well, the mistakes that I've made in the past with the hopes that somehow you can help me. So being willing to admit my mistakes publicly, but I also do that with our elder board. Uh, our elder board meets at least once a month. And when we get together, we start every meeting just by going around, talking about what's happening in our life, How's our marriage? How's our family? What's happening with our kids? Um, and, and what's going on emotionally? And then we pray for one another. And, and I try to step into that and lead with honesty. If I'm having a good week, I'll tell them things are good. I'm having a good week. If I'm not, 
I'll be honest and say, I'm, I'm struggling, struggling with you know, a, a grandkid or struggling with a kid or struggling with personally with something in my life. And so uh, gentlemen, we, godly men care more about what's going on the inside. And so we're not trying to protect a reputation. We're not trying to impress people. We want to impress God more than we want to impress people. The second thing is an issue of control when you talk about caring more about character than reputation. Because, because whoever you're trying to please in your life, that's who's gonna control you. So if you're trying to please God, then God's gonna control your life. But if you're trying to please people and their opinions about you, guess who you're gonna be serving? People. So let me ask the question, who are, you, who are you following today? Who are you serving today? Who are you trying to please today? Is it God or is it people? Are you concerned about who you are as a man in the inside of the cup, or are you more concerned about protecting your, your reputation? Here's what Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 29. Jesus said, and he who sent me, God the Father is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are what? Pleasing to God. So that's where it begins, gentlemen, is this desire to not be worried about what people think in your life, but to be worried about what God thinks. Jesus said, I, you know, Jesus offended people. Jesus did things that people didn't like because he was seeking to please the Father before he was trying to please people. And guys, we have to flip that, man. We have to be more concerned about what God thinks in our life than what people think about us. And that's challenging for some of you guys. The third level of this is that, is that godly men are always working to clean the inside of the cup. They're always, they're always asking themselves, how can I get better on the inside? Not how can I look better, but how can I be better? How can, I, how can I have better character in my life? So, so as we go through our day, we're faced with decision after decision after decision, and we have to make good choices in life if we're going to de develop the character that we want. So, so we're constantly asking ourselves, men, what am I doing right now with this anger and frustration? How am I handling that? As you go through your day, how are you handling, because it's an issue, it's real. How are you handling the anger in your life? How are you handling your poor attitude toward that person that you're talking to right now? How are you dealing with that difficult person? How are you dealing with that difficult child? How are you responding and what's going on on the inside? Uh, how, how are you dealing right now with your fear? How are you dealing right now with your insecurity? How are you dealing right now with your anxiety? How are you dealing right now with your sexual temptation? What are you doing with that? How are you handling that and managing that in your life? See, godly men are more concerned with cleaning the inside of the cup than they are the outside of the cup because godly men understand this, that decisions form habits and habits form character and character forms your destiny. So you look at your destiny and you say, where, where, what is God calling me to, to be a godly man, to be, to be this type of person? All of that traces back to daily decisions that you're making on the inside. Am I the man that God wants me to be? Am I handling things appropriate? Am I walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Am I, am I being on the inside? Because listen guys, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside of the cup will become clean too because your behavior will change when your heart changes. Your, your character is what's going to motivate your behavior. So as you go through your day, remember decisions form habits, habits form your character and your character determines your destiny. Where do you wanna go? It starts with cleaning the inside of the cup. Second thing I wanna say is this, godly men are gentle with the weak. Godly men are gentle with the weak. Okay, how did I score? Oh, C, I went down on that one. But today, A minus. So there's been some improvement. My wife's here this morning. Okay, a little bit of improvement. 
What do I mean by the weak? Who are the, who are the weak in our lives? The weak people in our lives are people that, um, that don't struggle with the things that we struggle with. They're, they're weak in the areas that we're strong. So we don't get them. We don't understand them because we think everyone should be like us. Everyone should be strong in this area. Everyone should think like we do and so on. So when we run across people that are different than us, we consider them to be kind of, kind of weak, right? So it's difficult for us to be compassionate to people that we think are weak. It's difficult for us to be understanding toward them. It's easy for us to be critical toward them and it's easy for us to be judgmental toward them, right? And so when, when my girls graduated from high school and when they went to KU, uh, which is Knucklehead University, it's not Kansas, it's Knucklehead University, uh, they began to, get, began to live the good life and be, began to find great delight in inebriation okay, in, their, in their college experience. And, and so when, when we found out about that, <clears throat> my wife said, uh, you have to deal with that because there was a point in your life when you also found great delight in inebriation uh, and, and you understand the party life, you understand what that's all about. She didn't do that, she doesn't get it, she has no patience, she has no tolerance, so she said, you're dealing with them in that particular area. So, so I did, I, under, I got them, I understood what it was like to do that in college and have that background and so I was able to, to share with them with far more compassion and far more sensitivity than my wife would have been able to do. So you would have got a D. That's correct. That's right. D minus. D. C plus. Let's go C plus. Okay. So <laughs> all of us have people in our lives that God places there that, that, that we struggle with. Uh, we aren't patient with them. We don't understand. Who, who are those people in your life? Is it homeless people? Because you're super motivated and you're super successful and you think they should just be more motivated. They should just work harder. Is it people that struggle with depression or anxiety that just can't seem to get out of it because you don't? And you're like, come on, just buck up. Come on, just, just get on with the program. Move on from your hurt and from whatever's going on in your life. And it's easy. Are those the people? What about transgender people or people with, with deviant social behavior? Are those the folks that, that, that you have a struggle with and it's difficult for you to, to deal with? Are those the weak? Who are the weak in your life that you don't have tolerance for or patience toward and it's difficult to be gentle toward? Do you, do you know who the, what the Bible compares the weak in our lives to? The Bible compares the weak to reeds and candles. Reeds and candles. So Isaiah chapter 42, verse three is a description of the Messiah. Here's what it says about Jesus. Remember, Jesus fulfilled all of these things. A bruised reed, now when you see reed, think swamp, marsh, the stalks of grass, those tall things that grow. Uh, a bruised reed, he, Jesus, will not break. And a smoldering wick or a, a flickering candle that's barely staying lit, he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 says Jesus fulfilled that. When Jesus walked the earth, when he came across bruised reeds and smoldering candles, he dealt gently with them. He didn't break them off and he didn't snuff them out. He, he understood how to do that. And so when you, when you think about that, Jesus dealt with lepers. 
He dealt with prostitutes. He dealt with the paralytic. He, he dealt with the lame. He dealt with, with all kinds of people um, that he had to be very gentle with in his life. And he was. Um, so let's think about, I'm going to show a couple pictures here of a, of a bruised reed. Um, bruised reeds, they either, either got stepped on or, or, or pushed aside. And they're, they're so gentle and delicate that if you even try to, to make that thing upright, you could snap it off. It, it's so fragile. It's so tender. And you know what we do with weak reeds, bruised reeds, sometimes in our life when, we, when we're impatient with them? We just say, just, just straighten up, just straighten up. And we break them off because we don't know how to deal gently with a bruised reed. Jesus did. Men, we have to learn how to be gentle with bruised reeds in our life. The second thing is this idea of a, of a smoldering or flickering candle. You ever had like a little candle and the wick was really short and it was just barely alive, barely staying lit? I mean, you can't even like breathe. You can't even like talk near it or it's going to go out. And some of us get around smoldering candles and it's like, come on, just get with it. Blew it out. Done. I mean, the best thing to do with a, a flickering candle or a smoldering wick is to shut up and listen and love. Because if you start talking, you're going to smother it and you're going to snuff it out. Jesus somehow realized how to do that, how to be gentle in his life with the broken things around him. And men, God puts weaker people, when I say weaker, I just mean different from us. They, they struggle in different areas around us. And he wants us to be gentle with the bruised, gentle with the broken, uh, gentle with that, that candle um, that's about to go out in our life. Um, so my wife... I don't, I don't get her sometimes. Okay. Um, usually I do, but she will, she will, ladies, you might understand this. She will cry for no reason. No reason. And she'll tell me, we'll be talking. She'll start crying and she'll say, I don't know why I'm crying. And I'm thinking that's so lame. Like, <laughs> honestly, like I give her that look like, wait, Why? Because every time I cry, I know exactly why I'm crying. I'm physically in pain. I'm, I'm sad because someone died or I'm watching a movie that makes me emotional. So everyone always needs to have a reason to cry, right? That's, that's that, come on, come on, man, come, come on to my aid here, okay? And, and, and she doesn't, and she, she, I, I, I don't know why. And so shut up and listen and love. That, that's what she needs right there. Just shut up. Because if you start talking too much and start solving this thing or trying to get her to figure out why she's crying, it'll never go anywhere and you'll snuff it out right there. So don't, don't even go there. Just shut up, listen, and love, okay? Because godly men are gentle with the weak, those we don't under, understand in life. The third thing is godly men know God's word. Godly men know God's word. All right, I gotta do a little better on this one. Let's see. Okay, B plus, I started a B plus, I went to an A plus. 
And you're saying, Jeff, that's what you do for a living. So that's not fair. You're right. It is. But I've always had kind of a hunger for God's word. The scriptures were central to everything in Jesus' life. They were foundational. His life was built upon the truth of God's word, the truth of scripture. Um, so Jesus, when he was, after he was resurrected, all of the disciples hadn't yet seen him resurrected. So he's walking on a desert road with two of his disciples, but he was incognito. They didn't recognize him. So he's walking with the disciples who think he's still dead. And so they're mourning over the cross and over the death of Jesus. And so as he walks with them, here's what he says. In Luke 24, Jesus says to them, didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In other words, did, did, wasn't the cross necessary? Don't you know what the Old Testament said? And then beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets through the entire Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning who? Himself. Now watch. He didn't have a Bible with him. He didn't have a scroll with him. So he starts in Genesis and he goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy by memory, quoting, pulling scriptures out of the Old Testament all the way through the prophets about himself. Jesus found his purpose in life from the scriptures. The scriptures defined his purpose. It defined his mission. It defined his identity. He found his identity and his mission and his purpose in the scriptures. Men, we do too. Your identity is found in the word of God. Why aren't we reading it more? Why aren't we studying it more? Why aren't we learning it more? Why aren't we memorizing it more and meditating? Why are we like Jesus who could say, this is my identity and just walk through the Bible? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's my purpose, is to not get caught up in this world, but to set my sights on heaven and on eternal things. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable. And per That's my mission. I am supposed to lay my life down as a living sacrifice to God and not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of my mind. How do I know my purpose if I don't know Scripture? If you're not studying and memorizing, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do I, you're supposed to love God with everything. How do I know that if I'm not searching the scriptures? Galatians 2, 5, 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirit, the evidence of God's spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How do you know what the evidence of God's presence in your life is if you don't study God's word? Matthew 6, seek first, make the highest priority in your life is the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything will be added to you. How do you know the purpose of God if you're not studying the scriptures and memorizing them and understanding them? Man, your identity is found in the word of God. Godly men know the scriptures and Jesus found his identity and his purpose from the word of God. And so should we, gentlemen, that should be our very source of life. Not only that, did he find his purpose, but Jesus understood how to pray from the scriptures. Jesus prayed the very word of God. So he's in the place of temptation in the wilderness. Satan comes against him. Here's what we read in Matthew chapter four, verses one through four. 
Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written. Where was it written? In the scripture. Jesus didn't have a scroll in the wilderness that he was reading this. He's by memory quoting this, this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus incorporated the scriptures into his prayer. How do you know you're praying the will of God if you're not praying the word of God? John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we know that we have the, the, the prayers that we've asked God if we're praying according to his will. How do you know you're praying according to his will if you're not praying according to the words of scripture? Jesus, three times in Matthew chapter four, when he's encountering Satan and praying in the place of temptation, quotes the scripture. Power in the scripture, gentlemen. Understand it, learn it, study it, know it, and then be able to pray it as well. And then Jesus expects us to do the very same thing that he did. So we read in, in uh, John chapter eight, the verses 30 and 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed, if you abide in my word, say abide. That means continue and remain, study, stay there. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. What is a disciple? One who studies his word, abides in his word. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, amen? Because you're abiding in the word, you're staying in the word, you're reading the word, you're meditating on the word. Man, it's getting inside of you. And then when you pray it, it just comes out. When you're, when you're talking about your purpose, the scripture just comes out because you're abiding in the word of truth. The third thing is that, that uh, or is this four? four. This is four. Uh, the fourth thing is that godly men serve without being asked. They serve without being asked. How'd I do? Ay, ay, ay. I was rough, wasn't I? I didn't help much. C minus? Okay. But today, B plus. Doing, doing a little better. Up that a great. Okay. Um, godly men serve without being asked. Uh, Jesus and his disciples sat down for the last meal together called the Last Supper. You know about the Last Supper. It was the Passover meal on the night before Jesus went to the cross. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He has one more meal with the disciples. So, so they all begin to show up. They, they all begin walking through the, the, the dusty roads and they, they arrive at the house. The food's been prepared. The food is there. They come into the house. They're slapping and high-fiving one another. We're gonna have a great time with Jesus. And they get in there and they all, they all sit around and, and, and all of a sudden Jesus notices something happening. Because hospitality in Jewish culture was so uh, important. And whenever you, you traveled to go to someone's home, the, the host or the servant of the host would welcome you and wash your feet and wash your hands. And these guys didn't do that. Guys are kind of unclean anyways, I get that, but we, they, they, there was nobody washing feet and nobody washing hands. I wonder what they were thinking. Like, what were the 12 thinking at that point? Either, maybe, well, someone else will do it. I'll, I'll just wait and see who does it. Or I'm not doing it. I'm one of the big 12. I'm, I'm a pretty big deal. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't need to be washing anybody's feet. Jesus looked around and saw no one was doing that. And here's what happened. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, recognizing none of the other disciples were willing to do this. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into the basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Jesus saw a need 
and didn't need to be asked, he met the need. Gentlemen, are we like that or are we more like the disciples who say, someone will do it, someone will get to it. I'm tired, I work hard, I'm a big deal, let other people serve me. Godly men don't wait for someone else to clear the table after dinner. See a need, fill a need. Godly men don't wait for the wife to change the poopy diaper. If it stinks, get up off your bottom and change it. If it smells, do something about it. Don't wait for someone else to get up and change the diaper. Godly men don't wait for someone else to load the dishwasher. Here, here's what we do, guys. We, we think by taking our dish and putting it in the sink because the, the dishwasher is full of clean dishes that we've done our job. No, if it's full and you have to put your dirty dish in the sink, you clean, you empty that out first and then you put the dirty dish in the dishwasher. Can I get an amen somebody, right? See, godly men don't, don't walk by needs and not fill them. They, they see a need and they fill a need. Godly men don't wait for someone else to serve the needs of the church. Godly men see the need and godly men step into the need. They don't say to themselves, someone else will do it or I'm too good to do that. They see a need and they fill a need. A good friend of mine here in the church who's an exceptional leader in the community, drove into the parking lot a few weeks ago and saw chaos, said to himself, there's a need. He didn't ask, he didn't wait to be asked to help. He stepped into it and has helped to bring significant order to chaos. See a need, fill a need. Gentlemen, do you do that? One of the things that delights my heart's heart as a pastor is we have several dads that serve on Sunday mornings, maybe handing out bulletins, maybe ushering or whatever. And their sons serve right alongside of them. What, what an incredible model. For a young man to see that, that dad just sees a need in the church and he fills a need. So I'm, I'm also doing that with dad. I'm, I'm seeing a need and I'm serving in the life of the church. And when I become a dad, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna see a need in the church and I'm gonna fill the need and my boys are gonna follow along behind me and they're gonna see a need and they're gonna fill a need. They, they don't just walk by and see people struggling or needs around them and, and have to wait to be asked. You're not too important to do whatever, whatever no one else wants to do. Jesus wasn't. No one wanted to wash feet. Jesus was willing to. And so then later in that chapter, Jesus says, as I have done to you, so you must do to one another. As I've washed your feet, you go out into the world and you wash other people's feet and serve them. If the Messiah, the Son of God could do that, so can you, gentlemen. I wanna read a, something my wife wrote a number of years ago, really inspired by her dad who died uh, when she was young. It says, when all the little boys in kindergarten are pulling little girl's hair, but one little guy doesn't join in, be that man. When the neighborhood kids refuse to play with the new kid on the block because he's weird, but one boy asks him to go and ride bikes, be that man. When the cool guy in high school sneaks out, the cool guys in high school sneak out to the parking lot at halftime of the football game to try some beer, but one guy decides it's not worth it, be that man. 
When the childhood buddies from church decide as 20-somethings that church isn't relevant anymore, but one, one young man finds a place to serve in the church, be that man. When a bride walks down the aisle with shining eyes, convinced with all of her heart that her groom loves God and loves her with his whole heart, be that guy. When it's 4 a.m. and a little girl sees the light on in her daddy's bedroom and knows he's studying God's word because that's the only chance he'll have during the day, be that man. When a son or daughter comes home with a story of heartache or disappointment and open arms and a listening ear are offered, be that guy. When a spouse of many years becomes ill, and needs her hand held, accompanied by the whispered reassurance of his love, be that man. And when we stand before the Lord at the final judgment day and he declares, well done, thou good and faithful servant, be that man. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you this morning for the power of your word. We thank you for the call on our lives to be like Christ. Lord, help us as men today to understand that godly men care more about character than reputation. Godly men are gentle with the weak. Godly men know your word and godly men serve without being asked. Help us to rise to the level of godliness in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, happy Father's Day.